I think the, the, the advantage, the people who won, actually pivoted well and kind of benefited and didn't get hurt as much as other businesses would. People who kind of were a little bit sad, even a tiny bit of a presence online. We just had a, a Google My Business page. Things that show up when you look up a burrito near me or whatever. If they just have that, they would have at least kept some of the business and not lost all of it. Just having a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of savviness, you know, helped save a lot of business. You're listening to Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast, your resource for one-of-a-kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. Hassan Anbar was great to talk to. His knowledge of SEO comes from a long legacy of experience, having seen firsthand how this essential tool has developed over the years. In addition, his story of coming to the West speaks to the benefits of a world growing in connectivity. Remember, the key to SEO is that this is a tool to attract those who are looking, not those waiting to be found. Hassan Ambar, it's good to have you here. Welcome to Ecomotics. How are you doing today, man? How are you feeling? I'm doing great. Uh, thank you, Joseph, for having me. Uh, thank you for being here. So timing being what it is, the previous person that we had uh, brought onto the show was uh, also an SEO expert. So it's cool to have two SEO people back to back. And I'm excited to get into your side of it, your expertise. But I think first things got to come first. We've got a very important question we've got to ask you, which is who you are and what do you do? All right. So my name is Hassan. I'm uh, 36 years old. Uh, I've been doing internet marketing in the, in the, in the business for, for a very long time. I started at the ripe age of 21, back in 2005, um, you know, building websites on on free uh, blogger platforms, not monetizing with AdSense in its early days, and then I stumbled uh, onto SEO in 2007, 2008, and I've been kind of an avid SEO uh, ever since. You know, build, building my own websites, then moving on to doing freelance, uh, freelance work, then uh, building an agency, starting an agency in late 2016. And uh, yeah, that's that's been like the consistent thing. But we've I've been able to like do other things like email marketing, uh, mostly email marketing. That's like the newest thing that I've worked on. Uh, newest, if you consider 2013, uh, recent. <laughs> so yeah, that that uh, that's been like the other kind of expertise that I've picked up over the years. But yeah, I mean, uh, it's been SEO pretty consistent for over 15 years. Yeah, uh, recency is a. Uh, is an interesting thing to is an interesting term these days because when I'm looking at material even as far back as 2019, I'm thinking, my goodness, so many things have changed since 2019. So I'm not even sure if these things uh, qualify any longer. So actually, a couple of a small things I observed just uh, from hearing your your initial breakdown here is how you you said you you stumbled onto SEO, and what I think is uh, distinctive about SEO is that it's not surface level internet. It's in the same way that people find social media and right away it's you know it's the social media is like the lobby of the internet can you recall how exactly uh you came across seo realizing that it was something that was probably influencing your internet behavior prior to that yeah i mean the the way you kind of we did things uh just like to make money i, I knew what affiliate marketing ever ever even before i knew what seo was so stumbled upon that in 2002 kind of began reading about it I was in I was in Morocco back then before I went to the U.S. for school, so things were kind of limited and there was not a lot of like knowledge being thrown around. So we 
Mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure you remember forums. Forums were a big thing. You would just go to forums and mm-hmm. people would share hacks. Like I've, I've done this, I've done that. And uh, kind of just being in my nature of like going out there and kind of like trying to discover things and, and learn things and learning how to use Google on a, at an early age and you know, help me kind of learn a lot of kind of strategies, marketing tra- strategies, marketing channels, ways to make money as easily as, as, you know, and things were kind of a little bit limited. There was only MySpace and then Google. Um, there was no, even Facebook was pretty limited. Facebook, first time I was on Facebook was, was it was, uh, was I was in college in the U.S. and it was pretty uh, close to just universities in the U.S., Canada, and Australia, and the U.K. So if, if you didn't have a, a college email, you didn't have access to it. So even social media wasn't that big. So it was just Google. So learning how to kind of like uh, build websites and then monetizing them through AdSense, you want to you wanna learn how to drive traffic. So other than MySpace, which, which was limited, we only had SEO. So that's how I kind of stumbled upon SEO. And then it was very basic and it was very easy to learn. Not as, not as complicated as today. So you just basically just throw five articles on a website, uh, do very basic month, uh, optimization, you know, like put up a keyword here and the meta tags and all that stuff. And then, yeah, a week later, you're, you're making money, like, literally. So that's how I stumbled upon that. Yeah, I mean, one thing I noticed too when I started using Facebook, um, I started using Facebook in high school, and I was thinking I was going to be a, a frontiers person. Like, I'm going to be the first person on Facebook out of everybody I know. I got into Facebook, and like all my friends have already been on it. And the structure, not to get like too deep into Facebook because that's not really the objective of today, but the structure of Facebook had transformed not in the same way that I don't know a robot turns into a car, like not that drastic, but I think the way people had treated it had changed significantly over time. Cause I remember like the first messages were sent. It wasn't treated like a messenger service. It was more like an email. I was like, Hey, it was so, it was so nice to, to meet you that one time. Uh, you know, let's stay in touch. And then that was it. So while SEO, I would think, um, is changing and is improving, uh, because the needs of the internet were changing. Other things around it were pivoting they were they were shifting and they weren't really the same thing that people were when they first uh, logged onto the program and we see that today too by the way um, especially in the social media space a lot of these platforms and apps like i was saying at facebook they're not the same apps that people get onto uh i, I can i can rant about this for quite a while youtube supposed to be just for like you know person-to-person content creators but now youtube really is more like the just a way for big companies to get uh, themselves onto the internet. Instagram, people are going there for the stories. So all these things keep changing around. And SEO, I think, has just been growing and in response to all of that. Yes, yes. SEO is like, well, first it was for people who kind of like learned how to manipulate it or like use it, was just to kind of get their websites up and running. There was a lot of small players uh, back then. And it was, it, was, it was very, not very competitive at all especially in the smaller niches, if you're talking about, uh, like the, the first people kind of to benefit from what we're like the travel industry, they knew that people used Google to, to, to look up like uh, destinations, hotels and stuff. So they were the early adopters of SEO optimization and they benefited from it like in the 90s. I know, you know hotels all over the world, even here in Morocco, who... Uh, you know, benefited so much from just doing basic optimizations since 1998, 1999. And kind of like they kept kind of doing the same thing for 10 years until Google started kind of like like uh, knowing the value of it, and 
making things a little bit harder for anybody to just manipulate their, their algorithms. So it, it just kept growing and growing. And now you have almost every industry, you know, uh, working on their on their SEO, having huge SEO departments, making like putting a lot of money into optimizing their their, their, their search engine in, in all like uh, presence. Okay, so, so this one popped into my head, and I'm asking this one out of curiosity because one of the one of my like ongoing debates within myself and then whenever I talk to people primarily in the podcasting space is the term podcast itself because it's fundamentally radio and over time people will not really realize that it's called podcast because its origins was it was an apple construct but sometimes I wonder you know if there was a different term for it what would that be um so I just want to throw that to you for a second just in case you've had this thought is is SEO the most accurate way to describe what you're doing, or do you feel that fundamentally it's a form of, say, marketing or advertising or promotion or anything along those lines? Uh, like what I've been doing over the years is I've been kind of like growing a little bit, bit by bit. So instead of just doing, you know, optimizing websites just for myself, just the websites that I make money from directly. Um, so that was just me as a small player. This is, we're talking 2007, 2008, up until 2012, 2013. Then when I started doing it for other other clients, you know, optimizing their sites, um, then it became more of a strategy kind of way. Uh, so it, it became a marketing channel that you kind of try to try to, try to to optimize for. And then when we started working with bigger clients as, a, as an agency, the agency started in 2016, and I brought in more people to work with me. I have one person to do, do the technical SEO. So that's, I, I would call that guy, the, 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 S, the, like the pure, you know, geeky SEO. He geeks out mm-hmm. on, on, on metrics and data and almost like a developer in, in, in the way that he, did, he does things. I don't do that anymore. And it's getting a little bit more complicated day by day now. I have a developer, a couple of developers on the team. So they, they kind of like uh, work hand in hand to kind of like work on the, uh, the the, the the chassis of the website, have the basis of the, all of these websites, how they how they show up in the algorithms and all that good stuff. I kind of put myself up a little bit above those guys and just look at SEO as a marketing channel, as one way of, of, of looking at things. It's just a way to bring traffic to the site. And that's why I kind of like, uh, you know, diverged into learning more about email and what to do with this, this traffic that comes to the site. And how to kind of keep, keep keep stay in touch with these people, whether customers or or newsletter subscribers or whatever you want you want to have on your site. And then we're looking at now we're adding another service, which is uh, uh, conversion rate optimization (CRO). So you want to like mm-hmm. analyze what these people are doing on the site. So you add that too, and so you become become more of a strategist. You just look at these at these all these pieces and. Uh, the way you, the way you I know exactly all the technical stuff that has to do with SEO. So I know what to what to manipulate, what to optimize for. I know how email would work. So I would uh, I know where to place the opt-in forms and what to say on the first emails and how to work all, all on all these marketing automations. And I know what kind of like layout to to to, to put in what kind of industry. So all, all these kind of like became um, just what pieces of the big puzzle, which is you know the what you would call digital marketing. Also, although I don't really like calling it digital marketing, it's just marketing, but it's just done online and it's, it's a, a bigger and bigger market. And now with what COVID, with COVID did, you know, like kind of happened and p- pushed us forward like five years into kind of like all, all this, all this uh, market, uh, you know, uh, market uh, share 
uh, you know, like just people using uh, using these things and, and companies jumping onto the bandwagon of marketing online. It's just uh, you know make things go a lot faster than that they should that they would have had if there was no COVID. So it just you know marketing marketing in, in in general with a lot of pieces in place. Yeah, there's a through line there that uh, came to mind because you were saying that one of the earliest industries that had uh, understood the potential of this and and utilized it was the travel industry. And because travel implies a great deal of distance between two spots, like if somebody wants to go from even one side of the country to the other, there's going to be people people on the other end. So the internet seems to be more of a natural fit to connect these two points. So what I'm thinking is happening, and I'd love to hear you weigh in on this as well, is once we got to COVID, you had these other industries that are forced to adapt to the internet in order to even stay afloat. And we're talking about restaurant industries. We're talking about local businesses. We're talking about people that I can hypothetically go down the street to pay a visit to that now in where I are right now, as of this recording, I, I can't even go do that. I, th- I think what's going on is the more local the industry, the m- more recently they've had to adapt to the internet and therefore had to adapt to correct SEO. Yeah, um, I mean, I think that the, the advantage... The people who won actually pivoted well and kind of benefited and didn't get hurt as much as other businesses were. People who kind of were a little bit savvy and had a, mm-hmm. even a tiny bit of a presence online. You just had a, a Google My Business page. You know, just, just things that show up when you look up uh, pizza near me or restaurant near me or a burrito near me or whatever. If they just have that, they would have at least kept some of the business and not lost all of it. And again, the reliance on other apps like you know, delivery apps. Like I don't know what you guys have in uh, in your part of the world, but we have like these European uh, app companies and have some local ones. And and they they actually grew like tenfold just during the the, the lockdown. Uh, but by kind of like serving people who who had to close their businesses, but they were at least allowed to kind of do takeout and stuff. So just having a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of savviness, you know helped save a lot of businesses the ones who didn't had to you know had to ask around and see how they could save at least stay afloat you know so, so there was that was the only way out or way to to stay afloat is, is digital marketing is seo is and local businesses yes um there i, I would argue that uh, more local businesses at least in the u.s at least in north america in general uh, they were more savvy. They they actually started using this and benefited from it because of the rate of of uh, I would uh, forgot the word, but uh, the, the amount of percentage of people kind of online or using smartphones or computers or whatever, the the mm-hmm. amount of people using the internet to, to 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 do business to just like live their their lives has grew um, like not tenfold, I call it to fifty fold, fifty times. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they, they were, because there's agencies that I know of who are specialized in local SEO. They don't uh, you know, provide any other service, but just local SEO. They work with restaurants, they work with, um, they work with the hotels, they work with um, gyms, they work with uh, like uh, service providers like plumbers and stuff. So that's like their- yeah, Like a local yeah, spa. Yeah, local spas. That, that, that's their specialty. They just work with local SEO. So they, you know that- there's there's a little bit of uh, of uh, kind of like usage kind of that's already been there. It's just been kind of like uh, what do you call it? Kind of like ex- exploded. Amplified. 
Yeah, it's, yeah, amplified over 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 the last over the you know second quarter of twenty. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm 31 years old, and and I think uh, you and I are both part of this um, generation where we had experienced life prior to the internet. It was a brief window, but it was still a window. Uh, and I think you might have had a couple more years uh, in that in that perspective before the internet hits and. It doesn't take very long for uh, people using it to realize that the internet, while it might not be a replacement for life, it is a way to augment our lives so that we can sh shape them in the way that we actually want. So even some of the earliest things that I was doing on the internet is I was going on to fan websites for other Nintendo fans because I didn't have anybody to talk to at school about it. To this day, the internet has continued to augment my life in any way that I need. I, I needed work and the internet provided me work. We needed a meaning. We needed a mattress. So we got the, we got our mattress through online. What we see is that the internet is. I mean, a lot of people have talked about turning it into a public utility, and I don't see any reasons not to do that. Not that I can think of off the top of my head, anyways. And what we what we have to acknowledge, and that everybody needed to acknowledge this year, is that the internet is core now. It's not oxygen, but it's close. So anybody who's not adapting to it is essentially losing out on their ability to come out of this on the other side. And so I think what a lot of these new structures that we have are the correct structures. And well, they'll come with us once we're actually allowed to like, you know, go to parties again and do stuff like that. Yeah, the, the internet is, is, is a vital part of it. Like, I, I remember the first time I actually went to an internet cafe and that was back in 1998. And there was a funny story uh, like it, back then because you had to pay like almost like a dollar per hour. No, wait, like the first time it was like $3 an hour. It's like in our neighborhood, it was only one one spot that was the first guy to open it up so we went or like the first 20 minutes just like booting up the pc or yeah, <laughs> yeah and there was these like because we speak we speak a lot of french here other than like the official language is arabic so the second language is like french that's what you learn in school and stuff so we we spoke you know like uh french so we went to these french websites so there was this email service and me and my friend we didn't have a lot of money so we decided to you know do what everybody else was doing you know just chat with other people um, through these tools, um, there was not even uh, what they call MSN Live or MSN Chat. It was it didn't exist back then. It was a, I think it was an ICQ. Yeah, ICQ. There was MIRC. It was a little bit fragmented, like depending on the part of the world where you were. But it, it was like AOL, but we didn't have AOL. It was if you go on AOL, it would just be like North Americans, Americans. But if you were like Europeans or people who spoke French, it actually used another service. So what? We did. The funny thing is, we shared an email address. We called it like my first name and his first name at like whatever service that was. That was like the first email that we that we created. And what it was so funny is like, did you receive an email? So you had to like go in and pay and just sit for like fifteen minutes, thirty minutes, just check your email. <laughs> like, look, this message is for me. This message is for me. So that was that was pretty funny. But then again, like, later on, it kind of got cheaper, and uh, you know, each one of us kind of got their own email address. But that was that was just funny like, sharing an email address. With you know, two different names. But, you know, then uh, things kind of started adding uh, all these services and all these things. And as people started playing video games, like other than chat, and there was these other... And then kind of Google, Google kind of got into the scene and people started using Google. And there was Netscape. So instead of Netscape, we started kind of using Internet Explorer. So things kind of get a progress. But it was, it was an early... Uh, I used to use Netscape. Yeah. <laughs> it was part of, an early part of our lives that was really... Uh, really interesting, but then we saw like the 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 move from 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 it being just a novelty 
being a big part of our lives, like right now, uh, by almost everything online, except even in a country like Morocco, almost everything online, except for like groceries, I just groceries I like to kind of pick them up with my hands. I mean, I could do that. We have uh, like a hundred services to, to get your groceries delivered to your home. But, you know, mm-hmm. internet is, as you said, it's, it's, it's a core. It has, it's, it has to be part of your daily life. If you want to do anything. Yeah, very briefly, talking to you, I remembered one of the very first interactions I had with the internet. Uh, this is just a short, uh, funny story. Um, we went to one of my cousin's house, and he had a comp- he was working from home. He was a freelancer way, way, way before uh, freelancing took the shape that it is today. And he had a computer, and he was on the internet, and he showed us a chat room. And the very first thing I remember doing on the internet was getting into a fight with somebody. And I remember uh, just uh, typing out F-U in full, and then I closed the chat room. So that was my first, <laughs> uh, first thing on the internet. The second thing was losing to, uh, losing to a guy in checkers. Uh, I remember his name, too. His, his name was uh, China Paint. And, uh, and I remember writing about that in school, saying about like how, how great it is to have the internet and all these new friends I made, like China Paint. I played with him like one time. I never talked to him again. Uh, and, but for some reason, th- this, the ability to connect with that person in that, in that brief moment was so potent um, because it was something that I had done and it was uh, completely within my control. And, you know, I mean, even to this day, it's surprising, but I'm sure there are people that still view the internet as a novelty. I think it's because people don't, if they still, if they, for whatever, how, somehow they got this far and they still don't need it, then they don't need it. Um, but I think to each person, it's their, their, their view of it is if I need, if I need this, I will. I needed it pretty quickly uh, just because of the way, you know, I interacted with the world around me. It just, yeah, it really made a significant difference and it continues to do that. There is one thing I wanted to ask you about your your background, um, because I know that you earned a U.S. scholarship. Um, as for, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Denison University. Yes, yes, that's where I went to school. Yes, yes, okay, yeah. So this is something that I'm that I that I'm intrigued about because I wanted to know a, more about how you adjusted to the lifestyle of being in the U.S. The part of it I know is that the the people that you were in school with had more resources going in and compared to what you had going in. Um, so that side, obviously you can expand on, but that's the side that I, I heard about in the podcast. Uh, but I was actually also intrigued about, you know, the lifestyle and, uh, you know, what you did for work, uh, your, your social lifestyle and how you were able to acclimatize to where you were in the States. Okay. So what, what, uh, what happened with, there was this scholarship program random by the state, state department that they kind of like, uh, you apply, you get to, through the application process, interviews and all that. So we went through that. Everything went well. I was approved. I went through, and, and uh, what happened is I didn't get to choose the school. Part of the program is that the school gets to pick whoever they want. So that school kind of specifically made it go with a, oh, okay. along with another Moroccan student and a few other like people from the Middle East. And that program was just like for people from the Middle East and North Africa, and that's what we're from. So that um, is how I got to go to that school. And it was, again, uh, an expensive school. And me having gone my whole life in public schools in a third world country, um, you know, like a developing countries, like they call them. And so going from a kid in the fringes and then going to this place where even Americans couldn't even dream of was a huge kind of change. But that was, you know, it was interesting. And it made me who I am today, made me who the way I kind of think about life and all that. Um, it gives you a completely different perspective, like first time flying ever. Um, and that was like from, from like 
Morocco to, to, to New York and all that, living in a small town. Not even a poor small town, like a rich uh, kind of suburban uh, small town in Ohio. Uh, I kind of think that if you fly over, you only see like pools and big houses and all that stuff, the stuff that you see in the movies. So that was that was pretty interesting. So, so I was almost like in a, in a bubble, and I kind of like opened up to the world and learned so much. the The lifestyle, because it was a scholarship, it was it made, they made it easier on us. Um, you know, you get a monthly stipend. Uh, you don't have to worry about any of the basic stuff, uh, food and whatnot. So you got that taken care of. So for us, it was it was uh, just go there. You have all your basics, uh, you know, covered. Just Go to school, study, do your thing, and then, you know, part of the deal was to come back. You had to come back so you can, you know, benefit, uh, spread the love or share the share the word about uh, your experience in the U.S. and just tell people about how it worked. But you know, it was is a good intentions program. It was, it was nice. Um, that's where I met my wife actually. Um, so that's like the life changing stories. Uh, she's Moroccan. I'm Moroccan. We've never been Morocco, but we met in the U.S. And uh, yeah, we're still together. We have a little eight-year-old now. She's eight, so the, the, it's pretty, amazing. It's pretty, <laughs> pretty good, pretty good story. That's the only success story I have. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of failure stories like when it comes to business. But yeah, so uh, trying to kind of adapt to like, I don't think it was that hard because I was very much already uh, adapted to American lifestyle from TV, from from movies, so I already had an idea. I was an avid fan of The Simpsons and Family Guy and South Park and all that crazy stuff. So you kind of have an idea at least. So when you go there, you just like live it instead of just like watch it. So you make all these friends. Um, uh, we get to we got to meet the scholarship recipients from from like inner city um, inner, inner city kids in the U.S. who were, were able to actually also come out come from like these poor backgrounds to go to these schools in in the US so that was also interesting to see other people just like you even in the US you know they were struggling and, and they went on to to, 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 to to do these great things and go to go to a, a really really good school in terms of like academics and whatnot and they, they have all these programs all these things that you know they put you through in, in, in a lot of these experiences so that was life-changing that was amazing. I didn't necessarily like a lot of aspects of it, but at least I got to enjoy the whole the overall experience and kind of like just turns you, it's like uh, taking 10 years of, of experience, of educational experience, work experience and putting it in two years because I, I got to work. I got to like teach a little bit of French at the, at the university, uh, work at the library. You know, you, we were able to work part-time, so that was good. And I've never... The only work I've done ever before was like to sell stuff uh, randomly uh, whenever I wanted to make money in high school, like back home, back here. Uh, but then when you're, uh, when you're in the U.S. and you're, you're putting in this position of like being able to teach these people, so it gets, gives you a lot of confidence. So I did gain a lot of confidence. That's one of, one of the biggest things is I used to have issues with public speaking right after you know, coming back from the U.S., one of the first jobs was to do a lot of traveling, a lot of speeches and whatnot about you know, specific subjects here and there. So th- I was inst- almost instantly very good at that because the kind of like confidence they install in you is, is you know, it's, it's tremendous. So that you know that's that's pretty much like how it went and how beneficial it was. It sounds like a, a truly formative experience for you. 
Um, you know, you, you said that you had watched The Simpsons and Family Guy, and so you're already climatized. I mean, we can say American culture, uh, which would be the root of it. Uh, but I think on a more fundamental sense, it's more about like Western culture. Uh, one of my running jokes is that Canada is basically the United States with a helmet on. So, you know, we're here in Canada, like we're, we're still Westerners. Um, so and also when you were saying that you, you, f- you flew over and you landed in Ohio or in Ohio and in the neighborhood, everybody had pools. I did think of a Simpsons quote because there's there's a scene where Marge is like in the hot air balloon going, wow, so many people have pools. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty funny. Well, yeah, I mean, Canada, honestly, like when you think about it, like somebody who actually at least knows a little bit about the world and geography, Canada to me is considered just like a, just another version of the U.S., just a little bit cleaner, yeah. I guess. And to me, like if, if you ask me if you want to live in, in the U.S., I'd be like, no, I've been there. I'm, I'm good. I've got my fix <laughs> from the US, mm-hmm. but if I wanted to live anywhere else, I'd be like, well, Canada sounds like a pretty good deal. And I have a lot of Canadian friends and, you know, uh, almost all the time when we have, when we, when I meet somebody, I never really assume, I, st- I kind of stopped assuming way back when, but a lot of people kind of just assume that a Canadian is an American until, you know, unless they specify it, but you know, there's really not that much of a difference. Well, I mean, there's also this uh recurring i don't know if it's like a if it's a myth or or how much credence there is to it but when um americans are traveling abroad they're encouraged to just say they're canadian so then that way they don't get uh they don't get a hard time for being american um i mean what i'll what i'll say just from my perspective of a uh, of a canadian is that it, it is a fantastic country um especially as a starting zone um but what we find in a number of different industries is that people who really want to like hit it big or they wouldn't want to reach their full potential, they do need to move more to the States because the States does encourage independence more. Uh, Canada does encourage collectivism more. Um, it is a stronger uh, social program. The tax rate is higher. Like the tax, my, my, it's been a while since I looked at this, but I remember the tax sales tax in New York City, the most densely populated urban center in the States, was 9.75. And I knew that because I used to um, sell watches internationally. In Canada, in here in Toronto, which is also the most densely populated city, it's like diet in New York. Our tax rate is 13%. Uh, HST. So we do pay a lot more into a social program. So we have more of a collective bond. But once people want to break free of that, they do tend to want to end up going to the States. Yeah, yeah, you do. You do hear that a lot, like, especially even doctors kind of like, when they want to make a little bit more money, they go down south. And we met a lot of, like, in in different colleges where I've been, you met a lot of people like, oh, I'm Canadian. Did you know that? Like, but I moved here because this and this and that. But yeah, and there's really not that much of a difference except for, you know, you know, like just financial. Yeah. Uh, we all, we, we play Call of Duty here. They play Call of Duty there. It, <laughs> I, I, I've known quite a number of, yeah. And then, then I'll, just, I'll just wrap up by saying, you know, for in order for something in Canada to have the same influence as something in the States has, it has to end up in the States. So it's hard for Canada to have that same uh, global influence. So that, that I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. But it is a fascinating subject looked at the i don't know exactly what to call it i guess it was a podcast slash live stream i'm not quite sure what to characterize it as uh it was a live video you did with e-commerce rock stars and i i would recommend to our audience uh, it is an hour at of its own and i think it's good to uh, sink your teeth into especially in the latter half when it really starts to get technical uh but there's a couple of main takeaways i picked out from it that i would love to have you uh, relate to our audience and again that was e-commerce rock stars whom we'll probably reach out to uh, at some point. So the first one that you bring up is uh, not to have just one traffic source. Now, what I think in my mind is if I'm 
you know, designing my website and I'm making sure my SEO is optimized, I'm not picturing that there is a traffic source. It's not like I'm saying, okay, I, I, I expect people to come from Google, but not so much ask Jeeves. So w- how exactly do we know that we even have multiple traffic sources? Okay, so th- that question pertains to the technical side of like the platforms, because we did talk in that, uh, in that uh, video, we did talk about how Shopify is a little bit, uh, you know, not lacking, but a little bit, a little bit limited in terms of like how you can optimize your site. Um, but that is for people who are kind of like uh, operating on their own and they don't want to deal with technical stuff. And the idea was just to go to WooCommerce based on WordPress. It has a lot less limitations. What do you want to like uh, optimize? So the idea was that do not go to Shopify if you want to go way too deep into, to, into the technical stuff. And in terms of e-commerce, you know, uh, you have a you have a store, and in a lot of cases, it's a general store or whatever. So you might have you might end up with thousands of pages. So you do end up with a lot of pages. So just you know, uh, cleaning up one part of the one part of the if there's an error, like an optimization error, you want to fix it. You might end up having to spend weeks and weeks just trying to go like page by page to fix that. But if you were on WooCommerce, you just like install a free plugin and it'll take care of it. It'll take care of that. So that's the idea. But then if you were to not to worry about, about that, if you want to Shopify, the idea is just to hire somebody. And in a lot of cases, any other, you know, freelance marketplace, somebody who knows what they're doing, they'll just go in and especially if they know a little bit about a technical SEO, they'll just, you know, we're talking about things like canonical tags, um, 301 redirects and stuff, and stuff like that. Because those errors kind of, Cause some, sometimes cause the website to be slower than, than it should be. Sometimes it will hide pages from Google that should be there. Um, so those, those, that's why those technical things are really important. And if you're not too technical, you could just, again, just, just have an idea. Just get an idea about what it is that needs to be fixed. So you can, at least when you're talking to a developer, you'll know exactly what to tell them. Okay, I need you to fix this canonical thing. I need you to fix this 301 redirects. It, it's, doesn't, it's not rocket science. It's pretty easy. Uh, take it for someone like me. I'm not very technical, but uh, with with the practice, with time, we kind of learn what needs to be fixed, what needs to be taken care of, especially when it has to do with pages showing up on on Google. It's just all of that stuff. It's just to make it a little bit easier. That's why I was. I mean, I always kind of recommend people to Google WooCommerce in order to avoid spending more time, and more money, and more effort, like doing a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of back and forth just to fix the regular thing. But again, it all comes down to uh, your preferences. Uh, it's good to have a lot of uh, you know, a lot of pl- platforms out there. Uh, you know, uh, it's good to have options. Uh, and WooCommerce has its pros and cons, and Shopify has pros and cons, and BigCommerce and uh, PrestaShop and all these other you know platforms. There are so many over them out there. And again, uh, to me, like I'm, I, I, at this point in time, I really don't have any preference. We work with clients at our agency that have Shopify, that have Shopify Plus, that have WooCommerce. And that's why we brought in two, not just one, uh, developers. And uh, the, uh, me and the other guy that we do uh, SEO, we can work um, really, really well into kind of like, we've with experience, with practice, we kind of learned how to fix all these issues. And, uh, you know, uh, again, it's just a preference thing. Mm-hmm. So 
I'm, 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 I welcome your, your, your opinion on this. Um, one thing I, I want to uh, state mainly for posterity is uh, because Debutify is a Shopify template. This is Shopify country. That doesn't mean I don't want to hear what the other, what are the strengths and weaknesses of the other platforms. In fact, I'm going to ask you that in the interest of broadening our, our, our knowledge. So here, I'll tell you what is in my perspective, knowing Shopify better than I do the other platforms is I think what, what appeals with the appeal of Shopify in particular is for people who want to focus on the marketing and paying and paid ads. And they're looking to maybe try to see if they can scale their business rapidly. Uh, Shopify is attractive to our, our dropshipping crowd, which is one of our core audiences. Now, that doesn't mean that people don't advertise on, on WooCommerce or, sorry, what was the other one? BigCommerce uh, and PrestaShop. There's, there's, there's a number of them out there. At least there's like a bunch. Five. Yeah. yeah, so... Um, what I would like to know from your perspective is what would you say have been the core appeals of Shopify versus WooCommerce? And you don't have to like rattle off all of them, but of the main fundamental ones, uh, what are the main differences of the people who use them? Okay, so uh, I'll preface by saying that uh, Shopify is, uh, like in terms of the clients that we've been working with, we've had more success. The success stories that happened that happened on Shopify rather than happened with WooCommerce. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a good thing. That doesn't mean it's mm-hmm. limited. It's not limited at all. It has its, its pros. And uh, I, I am an entrepreneur other than just being an agency founder. I dabble in a lot of other you know, kind of business models. And e-commerce is one of them. It's, I'm very late to the party in the e-commerce, e-commerce world. But I work with a lot of most of our Same customers. here. Yeah. Most of our clients are you know, like e-commerce uh, you know, store owners. So I see, I see like the appeal and all that. So... Uh, when my business partner comes to me, the first thing they say is, let's just put it on Shopify. Like we have this idea, we want to sell this. And I tell him, why? Because I'm a WordPress person. You know, this is WordPress, WordPress country. And, you know, WooCommerce is a big part of uh, WordPress. So they, like the thing that they tell me is like, well, I don't want to deal with code. I don't want to bother with this and that and like look for a DPS or a server or whatnot. And I'll just, I just want to like be up and running within a week. And I tell them, well, okay. Um, any other limit- limitations, we can we can just work around it. So one of, one of the limitations is you know, the blog section. So if you're in a niche where you need to have content, to, a lot of content, especially if your if your product kind of like um, uh, is on uh, has to do with information, a lot of informational, you know, like content. Like if you're selling, let's say you're selling CBD. So there's a lot of questions about CBD, like the benefits and whatnot. So you might, you, you should have. I mean you. you you must not have it, but you should have it. It's 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 a good option to have. It's going to be a little bit more traffic coming coming your way. So the idea is um, that the blog section is very limited when it comes to to, to uh, Shopify. But the workaround is what we do in most cases is um, put a subdomain on the on the thing and put a WordPress on it and just like kind of mimic the theme on Shopify on that WordPress blog, and that's it. That's uh, problem solved. And, you know, at least, like, for me, that's, like, the only thing. Other than the technical stuff, it, everything can, can be fixed on code. You just have, as I said earlier, you just have somebody who knows what they're doing, and you can find there's thousands of specialists out there who can just go into the code and fix the, those little issues, canonical, because that's just always part of the HTML, PHP kind of code can be fixed with, with like, one click or, you know, like, one uh, additional omission of a, of a certain part of the code. And, you know... When you bring in a, when you're serious about business, uh, having a, a developer on the team or at least just a freelancer shouldn't scare you. You know, it should be 
jumped in welcome. You know, you're in a serious business. You want to run a serious business. That's why you should always have. Just like you want to have a lawyer, you want to have a developer, um, at least on call, in case something goes wrong. And uh, all those limitations kind of go away when you kind of spend a little bit more money in terms of like that coding issues or whatnot. But at least you should have an idea about like all the technical things that, that happen. But other than the, the, the blog part, there's really no, no big difference. Yeah, uh, as you're describing that, um, Wix popped into my head again. And, and I think one of the main differences that sets a website like that along those lines apart is that I think those services are ideal for people who put themselves first as their brand. Like if a, a popular influencer or a designer, if they use themselves as an asset to promote themselves in the marketplace, then they want a website that allows them to, I think, express themselves a little bit more, change more of the design templates. Whereas I think Shopify really puts the product first and, and is also one of the easiest ways to get started. Like you'll, I've talked to numerous people in the, in the dropshipping space. Well, as a challenge, they'll get a store up and running within 24 hours. It doesn't, it doesn't succeed. Like there's no way, like 24 hours, no one, no one does that. But the idea that they can get that far in that short amount of time is also one of the main strengths of Shopify. So it was cool. It was good to, uh, it's good to talk about that. I want to move on because there, there were two other uh, takeaways I had from that, uh, from that deck. Uh, the second one, um, it was a big takeaway for me, but I have to admit, I don't, as I'm doing research, like I don't get to sit and like really parse everything. So I'm using this as an opportunity to understand it a little bit better is um, that when people look at their their numbers and they see the numbers are low is not to panic. It could actually be a good thing. So can you expand on that for us? I'll have to I'll have to ask you to <laughs> rephrase the question a little bit because I don't think I don't think I caught that. OK, no problem. You say that when people see low numbers in activity, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's probably like the the most fundamental way I can ask it. Is that clearing it? Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes that makes okay. sense. Okay. okay, so yeah, I think what happened there is I went for like the the emotional stance first, where like people see those low numbers and like, oh, what's happening? So yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I carriage before the horse on that one. Yeah. So the the idea behind that is uh, when you run in, you know, when you run a dropshipping store, when you run in traffic, you come from that paid traffic mindset. You know, you want to see large numbers or really large numbers. But when you go to these um, tools like Ahrefs that gives you like stats or, or estimates on like how many people are searching per month for this this and this keyword, uh, you have to keep in mind that those are just estimates. Those are not like ac- accurate numbers. In a lot of ways, you see 500 uh, searches per month, and you end up with like in your in your actual like traffic that you get is more than like 5,000. And sometimes you see 5,000 searches per month, and you end up with like 500 impressions like only 500 people were able to see that thing so those are usually always estimates and the idea is that when you see low numbers you assume that it's not valuable but it's it's the thing that uh search traffic is high intent traffic is it's uh, you know ultimately uh a much higher conversion rate than one percent that the paid traffic would, would you know would get you uh, it's usually always uh, like hovers around five to ten percent. So imagine if you're doing well with one percent conversion versus five percent or ten percent. You know, but depends on the industry and the niche that you're operating in. But again, uh, five hundred people looking for a stroller that costs five hundred dollars is not, you know, um, five hundred like five hundred thousand people coming from a Facebook ad, um, and they're not gonna, you're not gonna, um, you know, convince them to buy something for five hundred dollars. You can convince them to buy something for twenty dollars or forty. But if somebody's doing research and in research mode, 
they're you know very close to buying. So you just have to, to do that little little tiny push for them to to spend that much money and get that stroller from you instead of like from from another random store that they see on them. And that 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 idea I, I kind of always kind of preach that idea that high intent traffic um, is is much more valuable and it, it doesn't get any better than that. And even if people who are specialized in paid Google Ads, they always tell you that they do keyword targeting and that's like the only thing they'll do instead of like uh, you know display ads on on like the Google Adsense network, which is pretty much what 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 Facebook Ads is. You know, it's just impression based instead of like getting um, in front of the right people at the right time. So it's a much higher conversion rate ultimately. Yeah, I think I'm gonna I'm, I'm reaching with this uh, with this question, but is there a way to gauge the level of intent where if somebody is like they're really close to it versus they are holding the wallet in their hands and they're ready to enter in their credit card numbers? Like if if you can look at how much activity they actually or how much time they spent on the website. Like I said, I think I'm reaching with this one, but is there any uh, insights you can glean from their behavior? Uh, So there's like over time, I've done a lot of like research into this myself and there's, you know, informational keywords, there's um, product names, specific product names, and then there's like product names plus review uh, or product names plus specs. So if somebody is looking to buy a camera, they just put in the name of the camera like, by, by specs or a microphone or something like that. So when you go that deep, and again, this this depends on the niche. Uh, sure. It's you know if it's like technical st- like tech tech gear or laptops or cameras or um, something that's that requires a lot of info before you buy a lot of research before you buy. Um, the more the deeper, the longer tail keywords, the more words they put in, that the the, the ready the more ready they are. To actually purchase with their credit card, you're not gonna waste time looking for specs and, and watch reviews on YouTube or whatever if you're not ready to buy. I mean that. So that means that that that's what that's what gives it that you know like higher intent. So instead of just putting the name of the the name of the product, and we're talking like if you're talking about a camera or a, or a stabilizer, or a gimbal, or whatever, um, the more you you know about all those specific model names and whatnot the more you are ready. And then there's also the price ones. So you like, you look into, okay, so we're doing something with the, with these market, with, with these uh, e-commerce stores that we're building for ourselves. And we put the price and then the name of the country. So if you're, if you're in the, if you're looking for a MacBook M1, MacBook Pro M1, like the latest ones with the, the chip, the Apple chip, not like Intel ones. So you would just have put MacBook Pro M1 price Canada or Amazon Canada or Amazon Price Canada. So you, you like again, the longer tail, the red, the more ready you are. So you will have an idea what to target and what to put on your page, and what to optimize for. Like both organic, you know, SEO wise and Google Ads thing too. So you'll know exactly where to go the more you know research they've been to it. And that's just visible just from the queries that you see on Google. Well, that's, that, I, I got to say, that's fascinating. I really wasn't sure if I was going to get a, a substantive answer for it, but it turns out it's actually one of the, at least one of the main pillars that uh, people in your space are focusing on to, to get people to, to convert. Yes, intent. So intent is like one of the things that like, I'm fascinated by. Like, there's so much, I go onto so much data, onto so much like, research into this. Because again, if, if you're looking at tech stuff, it's easier to, to, to figure out. Um, again, travel, even travel is, is, is easier to, 
to target. Like, and, and when we're kind of expanding into international markets, so we, we're doing a lot of research into like the Arabic speaking markets, French speaking, Spanish speaking. You get that. You get that. Uh, whatever we've done, whether whatever we kind of learned from uh, like global English search marketplace, that the market share into like doing it into other. Just as profitable, you know. There was uh, there was one other takeaway that I uh, got from the deck, uh, and then we'll uh, switch gears because we're actually getting pretty close to our uh, uh, to our well our our end here, um, which is again. So the third takeaway is uh, in proper link building is to focus on subtlety, and uh, it's more about the organic growth. Um, so hopefully that this uh, this uh, jogs your memory as to what we're talking about. So. Sorry, I was tr- not trying to read it word for word. I didn't want to sound scripted. But yeah, so it says to focus on subtlety. So what exactly is it that uh, we're doing in relation to what we're actually typing on the website? So when it comes to, to link building, I think just to, so you can remember exactly what I was, what I was trying to, to, to get at there, the idea that you, you take what influencer marketing is now and put it into what like we used to do back then, just go to bloggers and you either pay them to put uh, to put like a, a sponsored blog post, but be subtle about it, not like. But it's like a sponsored post, and if it's a little bit, if it looks more like a review, that's a little bit more subtle than it. Like putting not like putting up a sponsored post. So if you put up a sponsored post, Google kind of has the, the 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 text to kind of know that it's a sponsored post. So it might not give as much authority to that link if it was like a like an honest, I'd say, review. So that's that's what I meant by having something be more subtle. So that's the idea is uh, to kind of like take your product, send it off to bloggers, specific bloggers. You're you're targeting them because they have blogs that have high domain authority, um, and kind of treat them just like you would treat um, uh, you know an influencer. In a lot of ways, influencers ask for money. Um, some of them don't, and so that's the same with bloggers. They wouldn't ask for money. They just like yeah. Thank you for sending this to me. If they like it, if they're a fan of the brand, uh, that goes into a little more into branding uh, territory. You know, if, if you have a good product, then you know, like they'll they'll be happy to take to take time and to kind of review uh, your product and write about it. Um, and again, uh, you can you do it either way. But that was just part of the part of a marketing strategy uh, slash you know uh, link building strategy that you can do. Like your goal is just to to, to extract a link, but you, you you don't want to do it in a way that just be like, hey, can you spot us a link? Can you just send us a link here? Especially if you know that their their blog or their website is high authority, and their link is gonna make it, make a big difference in, in, in terms of your, in terms of your, your own rankings and such. So that's that's the idea. Yeah, and and I think too it also. I think it also too comes back to intent only in this time on more of the on the influencer side and not on the customer side. If the intent is that there is a genuine care and, and a passion for what content that they're working on, then they want their writing and they want their website and their brand to reflect that. Rather, if their intent is to just make money, then that might come across and that is less appealing for the consumer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You you, you want to again like because I've seen that you know over the over the at least over the last two years. Is it's it's gone crazy international, especially when it when it's closer to home. When you see you see how I have a lot of entrepreneur friends who've who've gone like full blown influencer marketing. They send their they pay the biggest stars out there the most money so that they can create videos for them and they use those videos for paid ads. 
but it's it's that, that specific example of, of a friend of mine who had a like a beauty product, a cosmetic product. They, he spent so much money on the biggest stars in the country um, with the biggest reach, uh, and the, he ran the the, the the largest number of ads on YouTube, on Facebook. He was all over the place, and for a beauty product, it, it was so big that a lot of people uh, started. There was like no no uh, what they call no rocks uh, unturned. He touched like he touched on everything, everybody. No, no stone, stone left unturned. Yeah. So that's what he did until at some point in the ads that he ran, people started being you know suspicious and skeptic. Like, how good this has has this to be if he had, he paid this much? She's like, and you see all these negative comments. They didn't even try the product. It's probably good. But they didn't even try it. They're like, okay, I don't think I'm going to try this because why does he have to pay this much money just to get the word out? So, so it kind of like had this negative impact. So the way I wanted to like phrase it is you, you want to you know, avoid that, avoid having a negative impact of going full-blown ad like aggressive marketing thing and just like be as subtle about it as, as you can and uh, try to get some links from it. And when you, when you go... When you go big at first, you know, it it uh, it might it might kind of like uh, backfire, as they say. And also, I just wanted to make one other comment too, which is um, to to people in these positions. Obviously, it's great to to earn money, but even getting other product or other value out of it is still fantastic in its own way. Like I did it, what I did, it wasn't exactly affiliate marketing; it was more of like services rendered. But I got a keyboard out of it. I got that keyboard six years ago and I still use that keyboard to this day. So the amount of value, the amount of money that it saved me is, uh, is, is a different way of looking at what is worth putting our energy into. We're, we're, we're close to hitting an hour here. This, uh, this hour flew by. There was a lot of great uh, information that you've shared with us. And, uh, and for that, I'm grateful. So I want to, I want to shift gears. I want to do something a little bit more, uh, introspectional, introspectional, I should have written down that word because that is a hard word to remember off by heart. Um, on your Instagram, one of your pictures is you're wearing a shirt that's saying, I'm the best boss I have ever had for reasons that anybody in the freelancer space can attest to. Um, so I was wondering is that who's in second place? Um, did you have any bosses or did you have anybody you worked for that left a positive impression? I'd say, I, I, I've, you know, I'm being 36, you know, I've, I've been around the block, as they say. So I've, I've done a lot of things. I've had jobs, you know, especially because I've been married since at an early age. Um, uh, so went through a lot of jobs and then like went to grow in my, my, my freelance business, my agency business into uh, a much bigger income, uh, and then being, being able to, you know, like afford being your own boss and then having you know, the whole, your whole team working for you and such. I did have, um, I did have, uh, th that quote actually was originally like written by me. So, so I was, that's why I was proud to put it up on a, <laughs> slap it up on a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, and then, I didn't yeah, know that. So I was yeah. like, yeah, because I what I did, I was on Twitter. I saw this other guy's uh, question was, who was the boss you've ever had? Who was the best boss you've ever had? And I was like, I am the best boss I've ever had. That's you know, that's what it is. I've, I don't think I've ever had anybody as cool as to me as myself that they, they say. And then there was this viral post on Facebook. Somebody shared it with me, like when I, when I posted that, like. The guy who kind of ran a, a landscaping business, he put up a picture on Facebook with a picture of himself holding employee of the month. And he's the only employee. And he's like, well, congratulations to this guy and this guy uh, because he's the best employee this month. And he's going to you know, enjoy a vacation, fully paid. 
because he's the best. You know? <laughs> it was it was pretty funny because it was it was the only employee. So it was just kind of a, like a funny funny thing to do. But honestly, over the over the over the last few years, uh, over the last few jobs that I've had, um, I tried to kind of avoid being a, a micromanager, somebody who's like on somebody's neck. The, the people who work with me, uh, I don't like to say work for me. They like they work with me. They're part of my team. And I like to treat them as, as nicely as possible and make them feel as comfortable as possible. Other than just like the, the money, the, the, the commissions or what, whatever, I like them to, to be happy to be you know, waking up and kind of like working with me, working on projects that we're working on together. I want them to stay, stay, stay as, for, for as long as they want, feel as comfortable as they can and be, do the best job, you know? Uh, so I learned that over the years having uh, bosses who were, you know, breathing down on your neck, asking you why you were late for like five minutes, um, or people who uh, literally just stop talking to you and they're like your colleague. And then they do these like terrible things. I've had nice bosses, but they were like people who didn't have to work with me every day. They were like, like the boss of the boss or whatever, like the VP of this and the VP of that. And those are the people who like, you didn't have to deal with directly. So even if they had something negative to say, they wouldn't really like say it to you. So, so that's the, the, the whole office politics is, is like, like completely different side of things. And, and running an agency, trying to at least have a, uh, a successful agency, you have to be careful about all these, all these things. And, and, and that's why it's imperative for me to have people be comfortable. That's like number one priority for me. Other than just like, Paying them this certain amount or whatever, I want them to be, uh, you know, to look forward to working and not just, you know, dreading dreading Monday and like just looking forward to the weekend. You want them to be part of the process. That's why they're involved in everything, you know, from making decisions, tiny little decisions to big decisions. So that's why there's this whole kind of like having employees working with you. It's something I, I just I draw from my own experience. I try to avoid whatever people, whatever other people did to me, and you know, kind of try to make people as you know uh, as, as 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 happy as as they can be. And one thing I know too, because I remember you were you were asked this question um, on, a, on on a similar thread. One of the other things that stands out too is how much you value trust. And that, like you were saying, you don't want to micromanage them. You don't want to breathe them down, breathe down their necks. You want them to know that they have their autonomy and their agency, and that you you trust them to to pull their weight and then some. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, that was in the, like in the hiring part because what I do is this is something I always kind of bring, bring up is um, when you start working with me, you have my full trust. I trust you completely, and then you make mistake number one. Unless it's unless it's you know it's a terrible mistake, I wouldn't really like fire you if you make a mistake. Um, but then again, I keep watching. Um, if they if somebody makes something that they repeat that kind of same mistake, you got strike one, strike two, and then you're just you're, you're literally just out. But th- then again, that's breaking trust. You know, uh, if somebody has my trust, that's the most valuable thing they have. If they break it, then you know there's no Way I can uh, trust them with my with my uh, you know, work with the, like work with especially because you work with clients and you have this sensitive data and you have like this uh, you know it's not really pressure I wouldn't really call it pressure even if we're, even if something is, is there's a lot of pressure on, on on somebody 
they try to make it as uh, as lenient, be as lenient as possible, just not to make them super uncomfortable. Like, well, you have this job, um, do your best to, to just finish finish it on time, and so we can go through it together. Again, uh, it's it's all about that trust that they gain from day one. They 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 come they come with it. It's not like they have to gain it. They have it, but they again they if they break it, then I don't think we can we can be a good fit. Mm-hmm. And in an environment like that too, the only mistakes that do come up are, I mean, I, I provided that it is an honest mistake, are, are honest mistakes. They happen, they they need to be corrected and they scant to want to be repeated. Um, and it reminded me of, I don't want to, I'm not calling these people out by name or anything, even though I want to, is, you know, there was, uh, there wasn't a lot of direction and yet there was a lot of reprimanding for not doing certain things. And what was happening is over time, my my sense of uh, anxiety was increasing. And that led to making more mistakes. And it, it didn't occur to them that that was happening. So I, by the time you know it was on my, my last week, I, I nearly co- did something that would have cost hundreds of dollars worth of damage, uh, which to them was a lot of money because of their margins. And, and I just said, okay, well, you know what, that, uh, enough is enough. Um, they, I don't know. It's it, it, if the environment is good right away and it stays good, then it, it the only mistakes that you really should encounter are the honest ones that are just part of the process. So yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That's the word I was looking for: is anxiety. Um, I did myself being an employee back in the day had anxiety issues, not like full blown anxiety attacks, but you know you just. You know, there's, it's not a big deal to them, to, to, the, to, the, to your boss, to your employer. But again, just because the way they made you feel might amplifies the feeling and makes it really worse. So that's one of the things I kind of try to avoid by giving them this environment that it's, I mean, it's not possible now because the whole team is remote. But back in the day, try to do as, mu- as much as you can, you know, going out for lunches, um, uh, being flexible in case they have an emergency or, in case they need to like run some errands that are urgent or something like that. As long as they get the work done and they're comfortable with it, then I'm good. And that's, 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 that's it. That's the idea. That's fantastic. All right. So we're, we, we got to get you out of here, but we actually haven't, I haven't had a, I haven't asked you yet about uh, Bright Leads Media. And I wanted to make sure that I asked about that. Now, when I was doing prep uh, for you, I went to the website and it's, I think like, as of this recording, it'll be, the countdown timer will be done sometime tomorrow. Now, was I tempted to delay the interview until afterwards? Yes. Did I? No. But what's, um, so can you just give us a brief breakdown of what Bright Leads Media is for? I, I know you kind of like touched on it here or there as to your agency, but I just want to uh, hone in on it, wrap it up. And I'm also wondering what necessitated or what compelled you to do a revision of it and why it, it is uh, currently down as of this recording. Okay, so what happened was out of necessity. It was, it was, it was an attack on the, one of the servers that we have. And oh, okay. Yeah, so okay. we had to kind of like just take it. We d- I didn't want to have to deal with the rebuilding everything, so we just like kind of scrapped the whole server. We're rebuilding it again from scratch. The, the thing is, it's just a simple kind of re- presentation of what we do, and it's, that's um, a little bit of B2B lead generation, SEO, email marketing, and then a little bit of this conversion rate optimization. That's like four kind of main, main uh, um, uh, services. One of the, uh, the newest flagships, flagship services is Google Ads, running, managing your Google Ads. Because that's, again, 
you want to kind of combine marketing channels to get the best results. And again, the more clients I talk to, the more clients I deal with, uh, the more I know that they're just after that one thing, which is, you know, results. They want to see results. And uh, for a lot of people, they can't wait. We lost countless number of clients because they couldn't wait for like the three months or six months that the SEO would take, especially if they have a new project. Um, that's why for people could kind of stick around with us and kind of like see the value of, uh, of uh, you know, the work that we're doing is we are adding Google Ads as a service um, so that they can see that, okay, these keywords are bringing, uh, you know, uh, this much traffic and this, much, this many conversions and this, kind of tra- and this kind of traffic is bringing this kind of... So th- we kind of have to, at this point, we don't have another choice. We have to kind of combine both services so we can get the best results for our clients. And that's, again... Um, I'm not kind of per- I'm not the kind of person that uh, just takes on any number of clients. I say no a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be at that position to say no to people who I don't feel like that we're going to be able to help. People who I know that they're like industries are pretty competitive, and we won't be able to kind of like move the needle just even a little bit with, with SEO alone. So that's why um, I like to work with people who I can really, really actually help. Get them a, a specific, like a certain results and such. And it, again, uh, I, I, I'm not. Uh, we have a small number of clients right now, and I'm actually very content, very happy because keep, keeping things small makes me comfortable. Um, we, we don't want to raise stress levels uh, by having uh, with the kind of like the uh, the personal brand I built over the years. I can literally get as many clients as I want at a, at a certain lower rate, but then that, that'll a lot of issues, a lot of process issues. I can have as many as 50 clients if I wanted to, but uh, that is just not who I am. It's not, I'm not after the, you know, like just uh, increasing that number. I'm, I'm, I'm more of a lifestyle kind of guy. I want to be comfortable. I want to be wake up at a certain point uh, and be able to go home and spend time with my family and have my team members kind of like uh, be able be, be in control of what they're doing. Because we did at some point kind of try that, going through you know a large number of clients, and we ended up not making anybody happy except for a few, and uh, you just end up kind of ruining your reputation and just adding unnecessary stress to to, to it. That's why staying small is good, and if if I can help you, I can help you. If I can't help you, then you know, I, I'm not going to be asking for your yeah, and also, as you said, that you enjoy being comfortable. I my eyes went over to the side of your video with that chair. I've sat in those chairs. Those chairs are like sitting on a cloud. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's an IKEA chair. Yeah, <laughs> IKEA. I, I I just yeah, I got an IKEA sofa. It's uh, it's a great company. So uh, Hassan, we we got to get you on Addy. So uh, once more, thank you so much for your time and for your insight. Uh, our wrap up question is always the same: is if you have any parting words of wisdom. Um, an answer to a question that I didn't ask. Um, this is the opportunity to do that. And then also how people can reach out to you if, well, if they're inclined to continue to engage with you. Yeah. Well, my, my word of wisdom is, you know, because we deal a lot with, the, with people kind of in the e-commerce business. A lot of ways they're either small or they're just like in the process of scaling or at least, or they've kind of like exhausted all the paid traffic and channels and they come to me asking me for help on, on like how to expand and like, uh, get more traffic from social, from like, uh, you know, Google and whatnot. So like my advice is um, do not let uh, technical talk uh, 
you know, uh, discourage you from, you know, pursuing, uh, you know, this, this SEO route. Um, and there's a lot of ways to improve or, or at least increase your, your revenue and increase your profit margins. And that's what like email marketing and SEO will help you do. And that's why I always talk about these two together. And uh, even when you combine, you add Google ads to it, those three things aren't going to, you know, um, drain you or drain your, you know, your marketing budget, but they'll actually help you because we're talking about like an initial investment and that's it. We're talking SEO. SEO is, is a, a, a few months work. Email is a few months work. And then you keep gaining. Uh, just like I said in one of my, uh, I think, Twitter threads, recent Twitter threads is SEO keeps paying you just like an Apple stock, Amazon stock, because it keeps growing and growing every time you give, especially if you put in the work ahead of time. And, you know, that's, that's, that's what people like to do. They like to see is stuff that grows over time and over time, especially with internet penetration rates increasing day and day and day. And that's, yeah, that's why SEO is the, I always say SEO is the future. Add to it a little bit of this and this, like email, Google ads, and you'll, uh, you'll be happy. But yeah, in, in terms of like reaching out to me, I'm, uh, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Instagram, Twitter as well. Um, so you just look up my name, Hassan Anbar. And uh, yeah, I'm usually pretty active on social media. So if, they, if anybody has any questions or whatever, I usually try, like to be generous with my time. Uh, when it comes to like people asking me on, on uh, any of these social uh, networks. Um, so whatever questions you have, there's no consultation fee or anything like that. I'm, I'm available. Fantastic. Well, yes, you, you certainly have been generous with your time today. Um, so uh, one more thank you just for the road. Um, yeah, thank you. I, I, I appreciate uh, what you've uh, shared with us today. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome, Joseph. And it was, it was a pleasure. Terrific. Uh, all right, everybody else. Yeah, you all know what to do by this point. You know, unless this is your first time listening, in which case, uh, check out Hassan, check out our other episodes. One thing that I that I like to encourage my audience, I know this is like a huge ask, but uh, I would love for people to actually listen to the show in chronological order, just so that you can see how my own uh, evolution has gone from episode to episode. You'll get value out of every one of them, but it's a you know, with each episode that gets to be a bigger, bigger ask. So uh, you do what you feel is best, but we will check in soon. Thanks for listening. You might've found this show on many number of platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you, so whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next.